great to see you guys. My name is Jeff Hughes. I serve as the Connections Pastor here. So glad to have you with us. Our lead pastor, Greg Paris, is in Fort Collins, Colorado today. Some of you know we planted a church there with a guy named Randy Craning about 20 years ago. We got some fans of Randy in the house. Randy was on our staff as our worship pastor and about 20 years ago went out to Fort Collins. We have been hosting a church planting conference with 43 church planters from around the country in Fort Collins this week. Um, Mark Batterson's been there. There have been all kinds of great folks from around the country and God is just doing amazing, amazing work. So stay tuned. Of course, we're going to have some announcements. There are some things coming up that are in the works that we are so thrilled about where, where God has opened up doors for us in regards to planting churches around the country. So stay tuned for that. It's gonna be an exciting time. You know, we all have a love of story, don't we? A love of story. Maybe it's a novel that you love reading, a favorite author. Maybe it's a movie that you could watch just hundreds of times. Maybe it's your best friend's most embarrassing moment, right? Because we don't want to hear ours, right? Maybe it's a sitcom that you watch all the time. Or maybe you just love to hear and tell stories. Maybe you're a story person. What's apparent so many times that that should be is that each of us are actually telling a story with our lives. And so many times that is not apparent in our lives, but it's true. We're telling a story through our lives, one decision at a time. You know, when someone asks you about your past, maybe they say, uh, where are you from? Or how did you guys meet? What do we do? We open up this story bank in, in our memory of our past. We dip back in to these past stories of life. And you see, while these things were happening, they were just current events. They were just day to day, they were just things. But once they have happened, they become a story. And we go back and we think back on them when people ask us questions. Oftentimes when these things in life are happening, we're just going through the motions of current events, right? I mean, it wasn't a story, it was just something that was happening in the moment. And that sets us up for where we're going here today. You see, every single significant or unusual current event in your life or an, an even a, a season in your life, once it's behind you, it's categorized as a story. And sometimes these are stories that we hope to never ever tell. And sometimes they're stories that are very apparent about who we are. And oftentimes the determining factor of whether or not we wanna tell this story are the decisions that lead through that process that make up that story, right? The truth is we write the story of our lives one decision at a time. And you say, yeah, of course, I, I get that. But we wanna grasp that and we wanna dive into it a little bit deeper because whether if it's a thoughtful response or an emotionally charged reaction to someone, right? The story of our lives doesn't always end up being exactly what we hope for it to be, right? More on that in just a moment. Today we're in part two of a series called Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. And the big idea for this series is, is simply this. It's simply the fact that there are often overlooked questions in our lives between these, these good questions and good decisions. There's an overlooked relationship rather between good questions and good decisions. And as we've said, good decisions set us up for a great future. 
In fact, in some ways, our decisions really are, are no better than the questions that we ask and the questions that we don't think to ask. And here's a promise through this five-week series, again in week two. If you will ask and if you will honestly answer and then act upon the answer to these five questions, you will make better decisions and you will have fewer regrets. Your life will actually be better. Consequently, the lives of those around you will be better as well. Because when we make decisions and when we have regrets, we are not the only people impacted by that, are we? Now, in part one last week, Pastor Greg encouraged you to memorize this verse of scripture. I want to invite you to turn to the book of Proverbs if you have your Bible. If not, we'll project this on the screen. You can also use the YouVersion mobile app. So I invite you to stand as we look at Proverbs chapter 27, verse 12. Just one verse of scripture here this morning that will guide our conversation. It says this, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. I want us to hear that again. I want to let it resonate and marinate into our hearts. It says this, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Proverbs 27 verse 12. You can be seated. So the reason we're asking you to commit this verse to memory over the next several weeks is as simple and straightforward as these questions are through this series. They bring us into conflict with what I like to call the the salesperson that lives in our brain, right? Maybe you have this, I do. It's this little sales associate that's voice sounds a lot like ours and lives inside our brain. And it'll say things like act now or decide fast. And this sales associate, if you will, helps us and and encourages us and strays us from the course by encouraging us to focus on the immediate instead of the ultimate. When on the other hand, God's voice encourages us to focus on the ultimate, not the things right in front of us, but what he has for us. And so this verse is a reminder to look beyond the moment and, and not to look away from the potential danger that may be associated with one of the options that we catch ourselves selling ourselves on. Maybe you've been there before. That sales associate convinces you to act now or buy now or act in the immediate instead of the ultimate. We don't want that. So these five questions will help us slow down. They'll help us create the perspective that we need to see the danger coming. And this verse will help us to connect the dots between the options we're considering and the future that we may prefer or a future that we may not prefer. Now, last week we introduced the first of the five questions, which was the integrity question. The integrity question is this, am I being honest with myself, really? Am I being honest with myself, really? And I hope since last time we met, you've been honest with yourself, really. And I hope that if you've uncovered anything in your life that you maybe perhaps need to change to put it more in line with God's path, that you would do that. Because as we said last time, acknowledging where we are is the first step to getting to where we ultimately want to be. So here's a thought I want us to take home. When making a decision of any magnitude, we've got to ask ourselves, am I being honest with myself really? That's question one. 
Today we'll dive into question two, which we call the legacy question. Say legacy. A little louder. Say legacy. The legacy question is this, what story do I want to tell? What story do I want to tell? Think about it this way. When this season or maybe your entire life is over or when this relationship or business transaction is reduced to a simple story, what story do you want told about your life? What story do you want to tell and how will you tell it every single day? Let me ask you this. Do you want to be the hero? Yeah, we want to be the hero. Nobody wants to be the villain in the story of their life. Do you want to be a good example? Do you want to be the bad example? Well, as we ask these questions, they even sound kind of foolish, right? Because we know the answer as we sit here. But it's the daily decisions that lead us to the true answer there. Which option will make this a story worth remembering as opposed to a story you hope no one will ever tell that no one finds out about you? Which option would make this a story that you'd be proud to tell your kids or your grandkids someday? And here's the good news. We decide our story one decision at a time. You see, every decision that we make has an outcome. It can be positive or negative. It can be desirable. It can be undesirable, good or bad. We're getting this right. For example, Let's say your boss comes along and they ask you to lie about a certain situation in the office. You choose to lie to that client. The client finds out and calls you on it and your boss blames you for it. And you end up losing your job. Now, part of that story would be that you, you lied, right? You lost your job because you lied. It's not a good story. But what if it went a little bit like this? Your boss asks you to lie to a client and you choose not to lie. You still lose your job because you wouldn't do what your boss asked you to do, but it's a better story, isn't it? Or how about this? You meet a guy and he's just kind of okay. In fact, he's more convenient than okay. There wasn't anybody else on the horizon, something in you knew that you should not pursue this, but you did anyways. And two years later, the thing just completely evaporated right there in front of you. It's pretty much a story that you hope is never told about your life. All the time we see people who have these stories. What about this one? Your friend wants you to go out, but instead you need to study for an exam. We got college students in the room. We got folks who are in classes right now. You need to study for the exam. You say no, you stay home, you study for the exam. You ace the exam. And time after time after time, you make that positive decision and you end up with a degree to show for it. That's a good story, isn't it? We want to tell good stories with our lives. And the only person responsible for that, it's us, really. I want to put this on the screen because I want us to see it and really just let it sink into who we are. You see, every decision is the outcome and the outcome of that decision becomes a part of your story, which means decision by decision. You are writing your life. You are making history by the decisions that you make. That's why when you're making a decision of any magnitude, You've got to pause. You've got to stop. You've got to slow down and ask this when this is nothing more than, than a story about my life, a story that I tell. What story do I want to tell? What story do I want told about me? Listen, the decision that you are wrestling with right now, right now is going to be nothing more than a story that you tell someday. Right now, it feels massive. It feels heavy. It feels weighty in your life. But at some point, 
It'll just be a story. What story do you want to tell? The challenge for all this is that in the midst of current events and in the midst of circumstances that are challenging of life, we don't often think of our lives in terms of story. It is a story, but we don't think about it that way. For example, let's say that you recently lost your job. Surviving this season without a job, man, it's tough. But one day, it's just going to be a story that you tell. So what story do you want to tell? I lost my job. I started drinking heavily. I turned away every single relationship towards me, my family, my friends. I rejected everyone. No, that's not the story you want to tell. Remember this. The decisions we make in our valleys, they are eventually just stories that we tell on the other side. Maybe you're here right now and you're in a valley of life. You won't be there forever. Make positive decisions to lift yourself up out of that valley and remember that they're eventually just stories that we tell on the other side. Let's jump back to dating for just a moment. Let's say you're dating someone, things are going okay, but there's someone else in the picture. And yeah, he or she is married, but you have the sense that you're willing and they'd be willing too. You find yourself gravitating in their direction. Your decision will become a permanent part of your story and their story as well. What story do you want to tell with your life? We craft it every single day. Do you want to tell the story? I got involved with someone at work who was, who was married. I ended up busting up their marriage and now the kids ping pong back and forth on the weekends. Is that a story you want to tell? Probably not. Now here's something I think is true of all of us. We want to be able to tell our whole story and not have to skip sections. This concept, friends, will help us to move into a place where we can sit down with our kids, with our grandkids, with the people who God has brought into our life, and we can tell our entire story. And I have some good news for you right now. If you're in a place right now where your story that you've told over the last season, or you're in a valley right now, there is an opportunity for you to turn the page on that story and start fresh right now. You see, we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to make decisions that will shape our life. And you can actually be the hero of your story. I mean, that's all, all we want, right? Going forward, we can have that opportunity to stop right where we are and say, you know what? I wanna be a person who will make decisions that will shape a story that I will be proud of. I think one of the reasons we don't think about our life in, in the terms of story, because we get distracted by the pressure and the emotions of the moment, right? I mean, emotion when it comes to decision-making is huge, isn't it? The pressures that come in from all sides, you know how this works. You're up against a deadline. You've got to decide. You think, I've got to decide. I've got to decide. And there's stress. There's pressure. There's fatigue. There's a decision on that. Maybe your significant other says, hey, if you're not going to marry me, I'm going to move on. Well, that's a decision. Nobody wants to be left. Or maybe you're in a situation here where your boss says, hey, if you don't make quota, we're going to have to find somebody who can. We're going to replace you. Nobody wants to be fired. When we're forced to make decisions under pressure, it's hard enough to think about tomorrow 
much less the story that we want to write with our life. Because sometimes you've just got to get through the day. So whether it's love or jealousy or workplace decisions, hear this, the emotions associated with the decision-making process, they always complicate the process by focusing our attention on the immediate rather than the ultimate. So consequently, we're left in terms of options instead of the story we want to tell. And the challenge is, and you know this, there are no emotionally neutral decision-making environments, are there? I mean, the emotions to decisions, they just come in from all sides. That's why the worst decision, and, and I probably don't know you, probably don't know you that well, so I, I'm taking a gamble here, but my guess is one of or the worst decision that you've ever made in your life was fueled by a strong emotional appeal to make that decision and to make it quick. Now, you don't have to raise your hand if that's you, but I talk to people all the time. They say, oh, the pressure of making this decision, the emotions of it, challenging. If you're a salesperson, In retail sales, you know about the worst thing you can do is let a potential customer leave the showroom without making a sale. Why? Well, you know that they'll walk out and what happens in that moment is they come to their senses so many times. You see, the emotional appeal of your product begins to subside and they're far less likely to make that purchase. Friends, we have all experienced that in life, haven't we? Psychologists have actually named this cognitive ability and it's called focalism. And what focalism is, is you get so focused on one thing. Maybe it's the car that you just test drove and you're so focused on that that you cannot see any of the other things around you. It's focalism. And victims get so hyper-focused on the one thing to the neglect of pretty much anything else. Now, focalism can be a positive thing. Maybe you're in love and it's focalism and you love them and they love you. Man, that can be a wonderful thing. But in terms of emotional decision-making, I want to put this on the screen for you. When we're in an emotionally charged decision-making environment, we usually think in terms of our options and not our story. So here's a tip. When confronted with anything or anybody with a strong emotional appeal, you should press pause not play. But so many times what we do in our life is we buy into that story that this salesperson, either in front of us or in our mind, tells us that we have to act now, that we have to act on the immediate, and we should press pause, not play. It doesn't mean, and this is important, it doesn't mean that that person is not the one. They may be the one. It doesn't mean that that's not a great investment opportunity. It may be a great investment opportunity. It doesn't mean that that's not the perfect job for you. It may be the perfect job for you. But in spite of all that, anything with strong appeal clouds our judgment. And it should become a a red flag instead of a green light for us. So just hit pause. Go home. Consult some folks who are wise. And for sure, consider, consider the story that you want to tell with your life. 
Now in the Old Testament, there's a story of a guy named Joseph. And it is a great reminder of this question today, the legacy question. Really, you look at Joseph's life, it's all about the legacy question. And many of you may be so familiar with the story of Joseph from Genesis that you could stand up here and you could talk about it. But I want to rehearse a few facts and, and parts of his story because I think they really lead into helping us understand the importance of legacy. So around 1800 BC, there was a 17-year-old boy. His name was Joseph. He finds himself in a no-win situation. He's got lots of older brothers and he's in a situation that is not of his own making. His father, Jacob, loved him more than all the other brothers. How many of you can say he might've been picked on when dad wasn't looking? Yeah, probably so. So you can imagine that this fueled the fires of jealousy. And these 10 older brothers, they would just fume sometimes. Eventually, as you may know, if you're familiar with the story, their jealousy gets the best of them and they decide to kill Joseph. Well, in the end, they actually lose their nerve. They're out in the countryside. They decide to sell him off instead, which is a little more merciful and way more profitable than killing him out in the woods. So they go back home to dad and they tell dad that Joseph was killed, he was attacked and he was mauled and killed by a wild animal. And now this is important. Now these 10 young men, his brothers, think about this. These 10 men have a secret and they have a secret that they are forced to carry for life. They have just lied about killing their brother who was their father's favorite son. And they are forced to carry this for the rest of their lives. They have a chapter in their life that they will be embarrassed to tell and they can never be honest with anyone. It might go like this if they were honest. I was so jealous of my younger brother. We took him out into the woods. We beat him up. We killed him. No, that's not a story that you want to tell. 10 of us, one of him, who would want to tell that story? Of course, it broke his father's heart. It's not a good story. And now Joseph's brothers are liars for life. Friends, don't ever tell a story and make a decision that will make you a liar for life. It's not a good place to be. Whatever you gain in that moment will not be worth what you're forced to carry in the moments to follow. So Joseph ends up on the auction block in Egypt where he's purchased by a military officer named Potiphar. And now Joseph has a decision to make. His decision is, do I, do I run? Do I try to escape? Or do I put my hands to the work that's right before me? Do I decide well? Do I give all that I have to, to make a difference in this situation, even though it's not a good one? Interesting dilemma for the boy who grew up as his father's favorite son. But here's what makes us so relatable to us. Get this, get this. It wasn't his fault. What happened to him wasn't his fault. His story and parts of your story in this room today were hijacked. They were commandeered by evil people who were selfish. So it would be very easy for Joseph to just not even try. I mean, why care? Why even worry about doing a good job? But somehow, in some way, Joseph overcomes this negative inertia to be jealous, to give up. And he decides to serve Potiphar's household as if it were his own. 
And eventually Potiphar notices. And Joseph is given even more responsibility and he is put in charge of Potiphar's entire household. And if you think about it, that's a story worth telling, isn't it? I mean, think about it. It goes something like this. I was kidnapped once. I was sold twice. I was a victim, but I decided not to live like a victim. We need to tell good stories. I mean, if I ask you to raise your hand, who wants to tell a good story? Yeah, it's connected to our daily decisions. So Joseph is writing a pretty good story with his life. And then the music changed, right? If you know this story, you, you know that Joseph's story intersects with the story of someone else. This is Potiphar's wife. And he finds himself once again through no fault of his own in a no-win situation. It's not like a good and bad decision here. This is a life or death decision here. He realizes he could lose his life. And just to point out, Joseph is about 19 or 20 years old. And he's making a critical decision here. Because Potiphar's wife makes an advance at him. And once again, he opts for the better story. It's at this juncture in his story that it's so critical for us to grasp because it's one of the reasons that I want us to see, even though it's probably familiar with us, he employs a powerful, powerful technique that all of us should employ. So here's what he does. Joseph actually rehearses his story out loud. In the moment right here, when Potiphar is making, Potiphar's wife is making this advance towards him, he rehearses his story out loud. This is how we know that he made this decision in the context of his life. So what I want to do is I want to paraphrase a section of it, and then I want us to, to look in Genesis and see what we can really glean from that because it's so good. Essentially what he said is this. He said, Mrs. Potiphar, I don't know what he called her, Mrs. Potiphar, I came into this land as a slave. I had no rights, no future. Your husband purchased me and I did my best to serve him and you. And throughout my hard work, throughout my diligence and through God's blessing, I've gained the trust of your husband. He put me in charge of the entire household. In other words, my story is getting better and better and better all the time. Now I want you to see what happens in Genesis 38. We'll put this on the screen for you. This is 38, eight and nine. Joseph looks at Potiphar's wife and he says this, with me in charge of the household, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one, no one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withhold nothing from me except you because you are his wife. Making a point there. Implication, that's your story, Mrs. Potiphar. My story is of good decisions, of following uh, God's will for my life and God's blessing, hard work and diligence. Do you really want an affair with a Hebrew slave as a part of your story? And then Joseph steps back into the broadest context of all. In light of all that's happened, in, in light of your husband's confidence in me, in light of God's mercy to me, he asked this question in Genesis 38, 9. He says, how then? In light of all of that, in light of the way my story is going, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? 
So Joseph just, he just lays it out there. Well, I mean, why would I want to add adultery to a list of, of things that are turning out pretty good for me right now with an ending that I never dreamed possible? In other words, he says to Mrs. Potiphar, what story do you want to tell? Because here's the story that I'm committed to telling. Story number one, your husband gave me a good opportunity, turned out to be more than I could ever dream. I was faithful to him. I was faithful to God. That's a good story. Had he made a different decision in that moment, Joseph's story would have been very different today. The story that you are facing right now And the decision that you are in the middle of making right now is nothing more than a story you will look back and tell. So what story do you want to be told about your life? You've heard all kinds of stories told here in this message today. Some might even be right up on your toes, right where you're living. But I want to tell you this, the decision you are in the middle of making right now, some of you are trying to decide something in your life right now, and that decision will shape your future. What will you do? Now, as you probably know, Joseph decides the the better of the two stories, he resists Potiphar's wife's advances, but she accuses him of misconduct. And then Joseph is thrown into Pharaoh's dungeon. Just when you think the story's going to start going completely his way, but it's not over. Some of you right now today, the story you've written, the place that you're in right now as you sit here at Union Chapel this morning, you feel like your story's over. Or you feel like I've made a couple good decisions and then I was wrongly accused, thrown in the dungeon. It's important for us to remember that Joseph's story wasn't over in that moment when he thought it was a deep, dark time of being thrown in the dungeon. And your story is not over either. So for those not familiar with this, let's see what happens. You know, we often find ourselves in a long, uh, difficult season of life. And, and we feel like it's, it's this place where there's just no decision that can get us out. I want to encourage somebody with this. You see, it's oftentimes our responses, our decisions in the most difficult moment of life that make all the difference of getting us out of that place. They make all the difference between a story that ends well and a story that ends poorly. So back to Joseph for just a moment. So Joseph does the same thing in the dungeon that he did in Potiphar's household. He decides well, he serves, he lives an honorable life, and he wins the, the favor of the prison guard. Now listen, nobody's life ambition is to win the favor of the prison guard. It's not where you wanna be. But this is where Joseph was, and he had a choice to be faithful or to turn his back. And he was a man who wanted to make honest decisions because he knew they would determine his future. Several years later, don't move past that too fast, my friends, because right now you may be in a place and today you might make a good decision, but it might take some time to turn it around. Several years later, he finds himself being ushered into Pharaoh's presence to interpret a dream. Pharaoh has a dream he believes is of significance to the nation of Egypt and none of the magicians could interpret the dream. And so he hears a story about this guy, Joseph, who's being faithful and doing a great job in the dungeon and has won the respect and the honor of the prison ward. 
And to his surprise, he is called up before Pharaoh. And Joseph assures Pharaoh of something that is a bit shocking once he's standing before him. Joseph says, I can't interpret your dream. Well, they said you could. Why are you in front of me? And then and, and he goes on and he says this, but God, God as in the Hebrew God, which is a very dangerous thing to say to a guy who thinks he is God. God as in the Hebrew God can interpret this dream. Fortunately for that day, Pharaoh was more curious than furious. And he didn't just lop off his head and make the end of that story right there. But it continues because according to Joseph and according to the dream, as he understood it, Egypt was going to experience seven years of amazing grain harvest. I mean, swimming in grain. It was going to be phenomenal, which is a big deal because grain was bread and it was life to all the people in these ancient times, a primary source of their diet. It was a key staple. So this was great news. Joseph says, but wait, there's more. And he says, that's just half the dream. You see, Egypt is going to experience seven years of phenomenal harvest. And then it'll be followed by a famine so severe that no one will even remember the seven good years. A little sobering. Now, when Joseph finished interpreting this dream, everyone in the throne room assumed that Joseph was finished and would be escorted out. But Joseph says, uh, can I give you some advice? You don't give the Pharaoh advice. You don't even open your mouth unless you're called upon. And so he gives this unsolicited advice, which is unheard of from a foreigner who smells like a dingy dungeon. And he says, oh, Pharaoh, uh, someone's gonna need to wake up every single day and this is gonna need to be on, on their agenda like set their Google calendar, pop up a reminder every day, somebody doesn't think about this, you're in trouble. So he lays it out there for them. And he says, somebody's gotta be in charge of this situation. Silence in the throne room, because you don't give advice, especially when you're not asked for it. All the air in the room was gone. <gasps> Everyone waited to find out what unimaginable horror would take place in this moment for giving Pharaoh this advice. And Pharaoh just smiles. I think there might even have been a chuckle. And then in Genesis 41, 38 through 40, we see what he says. First, he addresses the crowd. Can we find anyone like this man, one whom is the spirit of God? And then Pharaoh turns and looks at Joseph. And he says this, since God, Joseph's God, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so wise and discerning as you. And then to the shock and awe of everyone gathered in the place, Pharaoh says, you shall be in charge of my palace and all the people will submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. And in that moment, Pharaoh makes Joseph the prime minister of Egypt. Shazam. <laughs> Not what everybody in the throne room was expecting in that moment. And once again, what did Joseph do? Joseph did what he did. 
He decided well. He worked. He devoted himself to this unprecedented opportunity because he knew the dream. Seven years swimming in grain, followed by what? Seven years of famine. So he knew that what he did in the seven years of good times had to prepare them for the seven years of bad times that were coming. And they did. In fact, once everyone's personal grain cupboards were bare, Joseph opens the federal grain silo and he feeds the nation. And before long, people from all over, every part of the world are caravanning to Egypt, including, if you know the story, his family. Now, an interesting thing happens when Joseph's brothers show up. You see, they didn't recognize him because it had been about 17 years since they sold him into slavery. But when you're sold into slavery in a situation like that, you don't forget a face. So when Joseph's brothers show up, he has an opportunity. He can decide to have revenge, to be jealous, to not feed them because there they are begging right there. Joseph happened to be out that day. He recognizes the family immediately. And if you've ever, if you've never read this story in Genesis, you should read it because it's fascinating. There are so many details that we don't have time to explore. But in the end, Joseph finally reveals his identity to the brothers. And they're terrified. I mean, you would be too, right? They're in this moment where they beg for mercy and they don't even deserve it. And likely they're not going to receive the mercy. And they were sure that Joseph was going to kill them or not let them eat for sure. But here's the point of the story. This is what I want us to get, friends. You see, Joseph's life and his decision in that moment was different. It wasn't anything like his brothers. You know why? He had decided that he wanted to live a life that made good decisions. And he refused to act and react in emotional situations. And he decided against the gravitational pull of bitterness. Some of us in the room today, we need to decide against the gravitational pull of bitterness to write a better story because you won't be free until you do. Something's happened in your past, something's happened in your story, and there's a gravitational pull that pulls you back to it to be bitter, to be resentful, to be jealous, to be hateful, to be spiteful, to withhold what that person needs because you have it and here they are needing it and they did you wrong. And in that moment, we see Joseph write a better story. I mean, how hard would that be? Crazy hard. Joseph makes this decision and he decides that revenge would not be a part of his story. So in addition to rescuing Egypt from this famine, he rescues and reconciles his family as well, moves them to Egypt. There is forgiveness and restoration. Now that is a story worth telling. A story he decided one decision at a time. Now back to us, back to you. What are you deciding? What kind of life outcome do you want? What kind of legacy do you want to leave with your life? All great questions. What kind of story do you want to tell? 
If you haven't decided a good story up to this point, turn the page. Turn the page. As we wrap up, I want to tell you in one sentence how to do that. Because some of you have been waiting for this moment for the whole message. Because you're sitting here today and you know, I need to turn the page. I need to write a better story. And here it is. I want to put it on the screen for you. Ask God to help you write a life story that you'll be proud to tell. A story that you won't have to skip any chapters. A story that you can sit down with your kids, your grandkids, with your future spouse, and you can tell cover to cover or from this moment and say, you know what? I had a crazy story up to this moment, but I was sitting at Union Chapel one morning. It was August the 1st. I was sitting there and I heard somebody say that I could turn the page on my story and I could begin to write a new chapter and a new chapter and a new chapter that would help me get to the place that I wanted to be. And somebody was up there talking about legacy and something just grabbed a hold of my heart and I decided to write a new story on that day, August the 1st, 2021. Maybe that's you. Maybe today you need to ask God to help you. Maybe for you, this is a new concept. It all comes in just saying, Jesus, help me. Did you know Jesus, help me? is one of the best prayers you could ever pray. Jesus, help me. Maybe today, that's exactly what you need to say to him. So ultimately, friends, how do we make better decisions and how do we have fewer regrets? We put our trust in Jesus and we ask God to help us to have within us what we need to make better decisions one step at a time. Ultimately, it creates our legacy and that's a story that's worth protecting in a story that's worth telling. Will you bow with me for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you that you invite us into your story. Thank you for everyone gathered in this room today. Lord, the opportunity for us just to hit pause in a busy world, in a world that seems to press in, asking us to make decisions every moment, every hour, Decisions that have high, intense emotion. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And give us the courage to pause and to ask the good questions. What kind of story do I want to tell? And Lord, for those in this room today who know that, that they need to start a new chapter today. A new chapter with you at the very top of the page. My life was this and then Jesus. August the 1st, 2021, Jesus did this. If you're in the room today and you need to turn the page on your story and maybe for the first time or maybe in a new way today, you wanna put Jesus at the top of that page, I just wanna invite you to lift your hand so I can pray for you. Amazing, awesome. Hands up around the room. Great. He'll help us. Amazing. Friends, hands went up all around the room. I want to ask you, if you know Christ, or if you're making that commitment for the very first time today, just to repeat this simple prayer after me. All voices together say this. 
Jesus, I surrender my life to you. You have full control of all my decisions. Every part of my life. Thank you for giving your life on the cross. In exchange for my sin and failure. Forgive me. Make me new. Help me to make better decisions. And live my life with your guidance. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And look up here, friends. There are some across this room today and in our first service who prayed that prayer for the very first time. And that is worth standing to our feet and celebrating in an amazing way. Will you stand up and let's celebrate that together? All right. Hey, let's sing together.